I'm Matt Godbolt. And I'm Ben Rady. And this is Two's Compliment, a programming podcast. Hey, Ben. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. Glad to hear it. So... We've been talking a bit about performance, and I've realized that kind of my career has taken me from hacking around an assembly through to trying to coerce compilers into doing all the work for me, right? That seems to be the journey that I've taken. And I realized that I, there are people still that are much, much better at making the compiler do all the heavy lifting for, for us than I am. And so I figured we should talk to somebody who can tell us all about the kinds of things you can do if you really, really work hard at the, the compiler and, and some of the tricks you can do with C++. Okay, yeah, well, that sounds cool. So? Uh, and, and so we have a guest today? We have a guest. We have a guest. There's another window on our screen, which no one else can see, obviously. <laughs> but So <laughs> surprise to nobody on this call, but surprise to our listeners, we have a very special guest today. Uh, we're joined by Hanna Dusikova. Hi, Hanna. Hi. How are you doing? Thank you so much for, for agreeing to do this. Um, we are excited to have you here. It's it's too late here, but it's it's great. And last few days was kind of up and down, so I'm great. Oh, good. <laughs> right. I'm glad to hear that. And thank you as well cool. for, for dealing with the, the time zone difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're, we're happily in our lovely early afternoon, whereas you're into, way into your evening. So we appreciate you taking the time for then. Um, so I just want to introduce you to our guests. Our guests, no, to introduce you, I want to introduce us to our listeners. Yes, <laughs> you are uh-huh. our guest. You can see how often yeah. we do this. Yeah. Uh, so Hannah, you're a staff scientist at uh, Avast, and you represent the Czech national body for C++, right? Is that the right way to say that? Yeah, it's that's correct. And also I'm an uh, officer in uh, C++ committee. I'm chairing SG7, which is a study group for compact programming and static reflection. That's not a... That's not a, a sci-fi series, right? I thought. It's, no, no. I figured maybe oh. it's some prequel to Terminator, probably. Oh, right. <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a minute, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I'm always confused because was it WG21 is the C++ Standards Committee? Is that what its name yeah, is? Yeah, it's Working Group 21. And then SG is Special Group or Study what? Group? Study Group. Okay, so your SG7, which is yeah. compile time programming, and what was the second part? And static reflection. Static reflection. Wow. These are so, all sound like very exciting things that I want now in my programming language. So <laughs> I think gonna... it's, it's, a really, it's a really boring topic. It's, <laughs> it, but that's, now you tell us. <laughs> we just invited <laughs> you here to talk about these kind of... Well, we talk about all things. but um, yeah, We talk about a lot of the boring stuff on this podcast. Other people <laughs> seem to find it interesting. I don't understand why. But this is just Matt and I talking about the stuff that we always talk about. I mean... Uh, we can just listen to Matt talking, and it's exciting. I think at CPP, <laughs> I think at CPP Con, Matt, you did, you did like thirty minutes uh, stand-up comedy. Was I it CPP Con? I don't think that's true. <laughs> I mean, maybe that you just thought that my my presentation was just so f- funny. <laughs> but uh, no, well, yeah. I don't I know think you, about did, that. you did great because you cannot like you didn't have any feedback, and you just go and go. <laughs> Well, normally the feedback is, please stop talking. We've had enough. <laughs> or at least that's what I read on people's faces. But, no. Uh, bless you. <laughs> so um, my understanding is when you're not hacking on C++ and dealing with all the committee stuff, you, you're also a keen photographer and a grey, greyhound owner. But there's something cool about the kind of photography you do, right? 
Yeah, I'm doing panoramic photography. It's like oh. uh, these spherical pictures, like Google Google Earth before Google Earth was cool, actually. Right. Uh huh. And I it's see. quite techni- technical. So it's not like it's not like uh, typical photography. You, you need to have like tripod. You need to have like um, a special hat for that, and okay. also white uh, white lens. And you need to take, I think, usually thirty pictures, and make sure no one is moving, mm-hmm. or no, like, mm-hmm. not mean moving, uh, like going between uh, pictures. Because mm-hmm. then someone is cut in half and it looks. Or you not get great. two copies yeah, of the dog yeah. that was running yeah. at the same time through yeah. your yeah. picture, right? Yeah, exactly. But you yeah. can also like uh, erase them if they move uh, between pictures. There is like always some overlap, so you can yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, like remove uh, all pict- uh, like almost whole crowd. That's if amazing. Somewhere. And if you have time and patience. Imp- right. right. Which it strikes right. me is if you're writing C especially the kind of template C++ that perhaps or you, one writes, uh, yeah, you might have a lot of spare time and patience. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. what what got you into panoramic photography? Because like, panora- I remember once taking photographs like with my, my, my handheld and like using some photo panorama stitching software to kind of put it together. Is that the same kind of thing, but just more? Yeah, what? it's actually uh, really similar. And it's uh, the technical part is to uh, rotate uh, your lens around a, s- a n- nodal point which, uh, in a lens, so yep. uh, there is no parallax error. And then it's mm-hmm. really simple. Oh, I see. So this is like the the center of the tripod is creates a point, and the lens is always around yeah, that, exactly. as opposed to just turning the lens and then you the the point. Yeah. Would, oh, okay. That that makes sense. That's interesting. Usually, when you when you do panorama uh, with uh, like mobile phone, you uh, like uh, t- take it in your hand and do like stuff like this. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's hard to like to describe in podcasts. So. Yeah. No. But the thing yeah, where you right. hold your phone out and slowly pan yeah. it from one side to the and, other. Uh, yeah. It makes error, but actually Google is using it in Android to uh, extract uh, depth from picture uh, from pictures. Oh gosh. Interesting. I had no idea they were doing so much. Like, I just take photographs, and then every now and then Google Photos says, hey, I made a panorama out of four photographs you just happened to take together that looked like they could have been put together. And like, I have no idea how they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, like, my approach is a bit different. Mm-hmm. It's not machine learning at all. It's just processing power. And mm-hmm. it's a lot of, lot of gigapixels. And yeah, I, you've sent me some images before that have barely almost crashed my browser because they're so huge. So what what kind of resolutions are we talking about? We are talking uh, about limits of a JPEGs. Right. I don't, JPEGs have limits? What, what are yeah, they like? yeah, it's 16,000 something Get and out. it depends on implementation. So you you in 16 somewhere as, the, as like a yeah. width and height. <laughs> Interesting. Well, today I learn. And uh, that is actually a funny thing. Not every implementation supports a whole specification of JPEG. Mm-hmm. And it depends on uh, about last five uh, pixels. That's the, that's the like difference between uh, good implementation and bad implementation. The last five pi- uh, pixels is like in middle of the uh, sc- like uh, the square in JPEG. The, the macro blocks, and, right? There are sixteen by sixteen or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and not not every implementation is able to handle it. How peculiar! I would have thought this was a completely solved problem by now, but you know, <laughs> obviously not. Yeah, I found out uh, when I uh, like tried to uh, load uh, JPEG in uh, Apple Preview, and it was mm-hmm. only gr- in only gray, nothing else. That's amazing. I just thought, you know, a JPEG is a JPEG. I know it's a complicated format. 
and I'm really excited yeah. by like the, the clever tricks that JPEG uses to sort of get the compression levels that it does. But I didn't realize that it was much space left over for them to to get things wrong. Turns out this computing lock is pretty difficult after all. <laughs> Getting yeah. things right. Yeah. Then uh, then uh, I asked Sean Parent uh, that uh, like this is Sean Parent of what's, what's going what's, of Adobe what, yeah. Photoshop fame, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You should invite. You should invite him. Here right. Too. <laughs> He's, yeah. He. And, yeah. He has always some story, and uh, he told me that uh, he makes sure that the DJPEG and uh, decoder in Photoshop makes all the corner graces, and it was really hard. I. So you've you've been sending him test images now, or was it was it already handling all of these things? Right. You're not to, not to him, but to, uh, for, uh, to Tony Van Eer. Yep. He's uh, working on a projection, and he asked me for uh, some big picture. So I sent him one one of them, and uh, he told yeah. me uh, it crashed their uh, application, and <laughs> he needed some fixes. That's that's really cool. I mean, images, right? I know you know every now and as yeah. I say, like you crash browsers, that you load up a big image. Like I'm mm. fond of um, looking at these high resolution, similar panorama, actually similar technology, funnily enough, um, where people have decapped. Um, silicon so you, you use acid to etch off the top of the chip and then you use a microscope and you take loads and loads of photographs really highly zoomed in and then you stitch together the die shot of the oh, of the okay. chip and it's super cool because now you can start reading off how the chip actually worked for you know like 6502 <laughs> era technology at least and at least that's the stuff that i can tractably look at and get some idea what's going on but those images typically are you know like they're pngs yeah, and they are you know 60 60,000 by 60,000 and so yeah you load them into your browser and it of course the browser immediately shrinks it down because it knows it can't fit that into but then it's kind of coming down like like an um an old school modem you know 14k4 modem you're like why on earth in this day and age is it taking so long for an image to come down and then it kind of goes boom and it's like chrome's dead and you're like oh (laughs) i see or uh, sometimes uh, again in apple preview you can open the image it's totally fine And, and when you zoom it it's suddenly gray, and if you unzoom it, it's still gray. Oh, and gray oh, is wow. like I've stopped responding. Gray. Yeah, probably. I see. Yeah. Right. That's like I know Ubuntu does this thing where you know sometimes if the application is not listening anymore, it's like, well, I'm going to render what the last picture you had, but like in black and white to show the user that you're not <laughs> the picture's there, mm-hmm. but the application isn't. Yeah. It's funny, yeah. I and mean, it is. I mean, it's really interesting these things because you know we uh, in our sort of day jobs we. Well, I speak for myself and maybe for Ben here, and obviously, Hannah, your your jobs are probably very different. But like, memory is kind of something we don't worry about as much anymore. Like, we work on server side stuff for trading, so you know, we just put more RAM in the machines and we're fine, right? But when you're dealing with images that are as large as that, you have to di- write your software differently. Uh, you you don't necessarily want to or can even rely on, say, the virtual memory system doing a good job because it can't possibly page things in and out as well as you can if you know how your software is going to access the image in the first place. And I don't think I'd ever really thought about that. I think this applies to every domain. If you know, uh, if you knew a semantic of your uh, algorithm well enough, you will always be better than some generic algorithm. I guess so. I guess so. And that's probably true. So talking of knowing more about your domain um, and a very gramophone needle scratch noise uh, segue. (laughs) Um, One of the really cool things that I know you do uh, is um, work on, as we say in the intro, some some compile time programming things. And you're most well known for, or at least I know you most well through 
the a regular expression library, the compile time regular no, expression library. No, no, that's library. not true. I'm actually most well known for my slides. That is also <laughs> true, yes. But the slides, if I'm not wrong, are the things that explain the tricks that you use in your CTRE library. Yeah, that's So, true. yeah, we should, all right, we should let you know. We'll put some some things in the notes about this, but Hannah's slides are absolutely legendary and have basically changed the way people do presentations in the C++ space because oh. they are super interactive and she'll show like a parse tree of a, you know, what looks like a photograph or a picture, a nice rendered picture of a parse tree of a regular expression, including like this is this node, this type, that here's the multiple of this one or whatever, that kind of like tree view. And then everyone's like, oh, this is cool. Now we can see how this works. And then she'll like single step through a matching a string and different things are highlighted. And you're like, so, oh, so far, so you just put, hacked this in PowerPoint and you've just done all manually. And then she'll just edit live. Give me a give me a regular expression and she'll type it in and the whole tree changes. And it's like live oh. updating all the stuff. It's the what? best. So That's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, it's definitely something to aspire to. I know... When I did a, a, a redo of our presentation on like memory accesses, I spent a whole bunch of time trying to do similar highlighting of like this is where the the, the cache comes in and this bit lights up and then this cache line lights across like oh, this. Yeah, do you remember, remember that presentation, that. right? Uh -huh. And yes, it's you know, do, it's a yeah. pale imitation mm -hmm. of what Hannah is able to do. So, so yeah, mm. Hannah, what, how are you doing all of that stuff? And I, I'm actually programming it. Right. So I implemented oh. A really simple version and a really hacky version of regular expression matching in JavaScript too, just to be able to hook them into uh, like into D three library to, to draw the nice uh, diagrams and visualize it. And I spent a lot of um, like hmm. months. You re-implemented the same thing you'd written in C plus yes. plus in in your own particular style, which we'll talk about in a second about why it's so cool that you've done it that way. Wow. You wrote it in JavaScript again, just so that you could draw the slides to then tell you as to how you did the C++ version. Yeah, That's be awesome. because, it, because it was uh, less work than uh, making uh, slides like with some animations, because uh, then I changed something and I need to like redo everything. Oh, no. No, no way. Right. That's, I, I've still... I, I was going to say, and I guess because of the nature of the library, it would be difficult to like transpile that, right? Like with um, the... Oh, what is the thing that I'm thinking of? GraphViz? No, 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 no. Like the the regular expression, you re-implemented the regular expression library to make this work in JavaScript, yes? Yes. So like there, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name of this thing right now, but there's this, the tool that you can use to, to basically compile. Uh, oh, C++ you know what I'm plus about? into yes. JavaScript. So like WASM yes. and stuff. Um, yeah. And yeah. then Kripkin, yes. uh, I think, is his GitHub Twitter. Yeah, that thing. Like, now yes. I'm blanking on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Mscripton and so on. Yes. Yes, but, but the whole point yeah. is is that you're doing compiler yeah. tricks to make that work. So it's like the chances of that being supported by the you know WASM compiler is basically well, zero. Right? The thing is, the WASM compiler will happily do it. It's just that the, the everything happens at compile time. Exactly. So you have to actually put the compiler in the web page in order to then right. actually change of it. Of course, yes. It's too late. Who, yes. who would be uh -huh. daft enough to put a compiler on a web page anyway? It's <laughs> so you actually for for a, like visualization of the uh, compile time library. Yep. You need to have runtime right. library yeah. with hooks yeah. to draw it. So it's so a different is, machine. Tell, tell us about the compile time nature of it. And bear in mind, you know, like, I, I, I'm pretty good at the C++ stuff. Ben has got a working knowledge. And we don't really assume that our <laughs> listeners have much of a thing. We try and draw them from a, a wide community. So what is compile time programming? OK. Um, and and why, would, why, why should we even know? What, why, why should we care, I guess? OK, uh, since I learned about C++, at first, I didn't like templates. 
This is <laughs> this is why we can be friends. <laughs> super complex, hard. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, then uh, I read somewhere that uh, they are actually Turing complete. Mm -hmm. So and uh, someone uh, in some article jokingly said, you should be able to make regular expression in templates. Mm -hmm. Oh. And it bothered me in my mind somehow. How I would do that? And I was thinking like through many years, I was like experimenting with some parts only like, then I finally was able to match only like a string against like, another right. string. Mm -hmm. And and then I learned more and more. And then suddenly I was able to match uh, like regular like expression, but not uh, like regular expression in string, but like express as a template, like, uh, like the expression tree of the uh, regular expression, but uh, uh, encoded as a template, uh, type name uh, in uh, C++, so it's like uh, repeat, angle brackets, string, character one, character B, character Got C. Got it. So you had like to this. kind of, as a, as a programmer writing the regular expression, you, you actually had to write the encoded regular yeah. expression as the tree that it would ultimately be, yeah. rather than just mm -hmm. the string that we know and love, maybe? Love? Yeah, I love, don't know, regular no. expressions. Tolerate. Yeah. We love and tolerate. <laughs> we know and, and tolerate. And actually, I like the... I, I like the form because it's more expressive than like uh, like regular expression, which is like right. What's going They're on very here. terse, aren't they? And that's uh, yeah. it's, it's it's nice if yeah. I can just imagine seeing one of these and knowing that the one of the things that that you could put in this are comments inside your regular expression in C <laughs> C style comments to at least explain what on earth's going on, which is harder to do, at least with the the standard regular expressions. Yes, exactly. And uh, then uh, I was thinking how to convert a string into this form. Mm -hmm. And that's simple uh, L1 parser and I like just simple. You've just said simple. Stack. You glossed over something yeah, which is very challenging. <laughs> like uh, the only uh, data structure you have in uh, template metaprogramming is a stack. Okay. You can uh, you can have type uh, type list and you can add a type uh, type in front and ty uh, remove type from front. That's all you have. So this is kind of very Lisp-like yeah. primitives that you have a, a access mm -hmm. to, right? And but when you have st uh, stack, you're actually doing complete, and you can do whatever you want. Wow. I don't think I registered that that was the only thing you really needed in order to be able to, to, to do this kind of stuff. I mean, uh, for doing complete, you need to have two stacks, but yeah. Okay, right, right. And just to just be clear, right, the, the thing that you're sort of stacking here is that you're making a new type which is specialized in different ways and you're concatenating onto a type. So this is all in the type system of the compiler. There is no actual yeah. stack that you're yeah. manipulating yeah, exactly. that's going to be in your runtime program. It's all in the compiler at compile time. So yeah, it's a type. Uh, and if you add a, uh, like a type representing your current state in, in a parser, and then you add a type representing uh, one character on input. Right. And uh, it modifies to another type, which represent different state of parser. And then you apply this repeatedly in a, uh, in a like recursion way in a function. Yep. And at the end, it will return you result, which will give, give you only this is regular expression. This is not a regular expression. That's like step one. Okay. Then you are like. So then, uh, let me just try to run that past uh, you again. So you build, you're parsing this thing in, you're building this type up, and it's sort of pushing and popping as you're. Yeah. following the LALR parser rules. And at the end, it either succeeds and you get back, do you get back a ball or do you just get back a type that is the tag type of saying this is a valid 
regular expression or this is not a valid regular expression. You can or... fail in multiple fashion. You, you can fail in some horrible exp- uh, like uh, error in compiler. Also, you can propagate uh, Boolean uh, that uh, the regular expression is uh, mm. wrong. And right. then you can have only one static assert checking the Boolean. And with a nice error, uh, this is wrong. Uh, this is an incorrect regular mm. expression. I see. So static assert is an assertion that runs at compile time, right? It's just either yes. true or false. And there's a compiler error if the whatever you pass to the static error is not a constant known at compile time and true. Yeah, it Got must it. be uh, known at mm-hmm. compile time. Right. Right, right. And then next step, when you have a parser... Okay, so this is just yeah. the beginnings. Yeah, okay, exactly. right. And then next step uh, is uh, to uh, have some like context as a third parameter during parsing, another stack where you, uh, yeah. uh, based on the uh, symbol in the grammar, uh, do uh, some modification on the stack. Okay, so you've got one that's just like the parse stack, yeah. which you were using just to sort of like know, keep track of where you are, how many open parens and closed yeah, parens, exactly. that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And the other one is kind of where you're putting... I'm guessing this is going to be like where the actual sort of compiled regular expression is going to... Uh, for uh, like typical expression grammar, you can have like a uh, number and number and then uh, action uh, plus came and you take two uh, items from top of the stack and wrap them into number, into, okay. uh, uh, into plus operation. And the plus right. operation is uh, actually can easily map to uh, the uh, first stage, uh, like uh, the ex- regular expression as an expression. Template expression. So you have like uh, concatenation. So there is mm-hmm. an operator con- uh, uh, concatenation. Then you just take two elements from the top of the stack, wrap them, and place them back to the stack. Okay, so it's mm-hmm. like a like a stack machine that you would write if you're like even like if you're writing like a, uh, yeah. a like a maths very simple math parser type thing. You know, three two right. push yeah. two push two. Add. Or if you've ever used a TI calculator or a Texas uh, Instrument ca- calculator yes, from like yeah uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but in, but instead, uh, like uh, multiplying numbers mm-hmm. from input, you actually store the operation with the numbers itself. Okay, so you kind of just keep it as that. You don't actually um, add mm-hmm. them. You say yeah. this is an addition operation with one and one or whatever the equivalent is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the input is actually uh, from the grammar. The LL1 parser will give you uh, give it to you as a stream of operations in postfix notation. Okay. Yep. So then it's just two atoms, concatenation, atom, concatenation, atom, concatenation. And then uh, you have another sub-expression. And then at the end, there, there is a multiple options or or and. Right. And then you uh, you will have the regular exp- expression as a tree, as a type. Got and it. And then you can easily run because you just call the operator uh, evaluate over the type. And it will go recursively in all branches. And at the end, it will give you true or mm. false if the input matches this uh, regular expression. So this time, at mm-hmm. this point, we have transitioned from compile time to runtime, right? So that the yes. again, right, I'm just going to write, read this back to you to make sure <laughs> I've got this straight because my head is, mm-hmm. is spinning. But the the result of the parse is accumulated into this, this the second stack that you're talking about, which effectively ends up being a bespoke type who is only t- responsibility in the entire world is to hold the compiled operations that will match the regular expression that was given, yeah. right? So if mm-hmm. I say it's, A it's or B, yeah. it's yeah. a tree representation of the A and the B and the or or something, something-ish like that. And then that type, I can now at runtime give a string and it will do the matching of A or B in this instance. Uh, 
that's amazing because presumably that means if I make a mistake, I think, well, as you just said, if I make a mistake in my regular expression, I don't have to wait till runtime for it to, thing to throw an exception yeah. saying, oh, by the way, that's not valid. It happens mm-hmm. at compile time. But that's actually the first phase. In right, that's the bit we were just talking about before with the Boolean or the, the tag type, right? Yeah. And then, so what implications does this have for... Uh, and what's the difference between, say, you know, me just using a normal, normal regular expression? Uh, your compiler knows everything you are doing, and it can inline everything. And it's actually uh, going down to assembly, uh, like compare, 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 red. So it really does net out all this sort of very complicated sounding, sounding highfalutin type-based stuff. Once it's all boiled down to uh, uh, like actual code generation, the compiler just essentially writes the handwritten code that you would have done yourself if you were said, okay, you, this needs to match either A or B. Yeah. And it's just the two compares and an or or whatever, and we're done. I, uh, wow. My like first approach, because I when, uh, I wanted the regular expressions in uh, like in uh, really performant one, I was thinking about using LLVM to write the uh, code and use uh, LLVM optimizer. Mm. Mm-hmm. But right. LLVM is really hard to understand and uh, get into. <laughs> so I, yes. I knew C++, so I write it in C++, kind of, and then Optimizer will do it for me anyway. That's a, So you still get to use LLVM. If you're compiling with Clang, you really are using LLVM. Yeah. It's just that you're using it through the medium of, of normal C++. Uh, as opposed to, like you were saying, if you were to, you could use LLVM directly yourself, in which case you'd build up nodes and you'd then build a DAG and you'd build the comparison operations and the basic blocks that are doing the compares and whatever. And then you'd say to LLVM, hey, can you generate me the assembly for that? Which would still be, a, which would allow you to do some of that at runtime, I suppose, which is the only advantage that you might need if you actually wanted to have dynamic regular expressions, which is usually a security <laughs> risk, <laughs> right? If you let somebody type in a regular expression, you're probably doing it wrong. Um, like, Runtime. I ways. think even even evaluating regular expression at runtime is security risk. Right, because <laughs> depending on the regular expression, you could have some absolutely catastrophic backtracking stuff going on where it Not could just, just blow out. Not just backtracking; you can just uh, run out of stack. Hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I suppose so. It's potentially unbounded. Right. I don't think I thought about that. Um, that's. That's actually mildly terrifying, given that my website is is entirely regular expression based <laughs> in terms of all of the horrible yeah, things. Yeah, but it's that it most, does. mostly running in at, at our clients, so it should be fine. Oh, yeah, no, there's plenty of stuff that's going on on the server. Okay, unfortunately. good luck. <laughs> but you know, like I don't think a regular expression overrun or stack smash is my biggest uh, source of um, security risk, given that I just take <laughs> arbitrary bits of user code and run them on my server. So, you know, anyway, that's... Uh, also true yeah, facts. That's, um, yeah. So that's amazing. So, so compile time is is letting us push stuff that would traditionally be done with like a, a static offline parser generator stuff and then a, a, a code generator, like you said, like LLVM or even just writing your own stuff and being able to hoist it into mostly sane looking C++. You know, like I have a very low threshold for template metaprogramming yeah, trickery. From, and I, uh, like from user perspective, it's just uh, CTRE, uh, match, angle brackets, and in angle brackets, it's, there is a regular expression as you know it. 
And, uh, so from a user's point of view, mm-hmm, it looks mm-hmm. it's just a very slightly yeah. different way of looking at you use like the angle brackets instead of the uh, yeah. round brackets. I think Quarantine said that uh, they are called Hana brackets because of that. But <laughs> <laughs> Hana brackets. Oh, well, that's what I'm going to call them. Um, that's we, we've had all sorts of funny names for the things over the time. Like I, I'll, I'll call them chevrons. You know, like the things that like are. Um, mm-hmm. um, and then operator like this, and, and no one can see this, of course, on the podcast, but I'm doing like um, two uh, crocodile hands um, <laughs> facing one way is like the output operator. And then the other way is the input operator. And mm-hmm. and then um, a good friend. So this is like alligator and this is crocodile. Something is that like that. that yeah, I don't know how that works. What do you call that? I mean, we've stopped using these except for the, you know, as, as nature intended yeah. to shift variables around, um, you know, bit right. shift stuff. That's right. the right thing. Hopefully everyone's yes. using FMT, libFMT this, the, now, nowadays for any kind of actual string manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the only other one that springs to mind is something that a, a, a colleague of mine and Ben's uh, used to call um, uh, mummy and daddy duck and their baby ducks, which is whenever you have to use double ampersands and then the dot, dot, dot. <laughs> in a template list it's you know amp amp dot 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 and it's like the the, the, the two the, mummy and daddy duck ducks family. and then the, the little yeah. little baby ducks and i think oh. now i can't unsee that now every time it's not yeah. very often i write code that needs that level of like thing but it, it's there i don't what, what do you call that it's like a variadic r value it's uh, a per- perfect uh forwarding and variadic pack of forwarding arguments Gosh, that sounds like a tongue twister. A very and I'm, I'm pack of probably incorrect, and probably someone from Corbel said to me, uh, "You should oh, call it universal worry. references. You should call it R value references." Oh no, no, it's, it's not. It's not R value references. Stop talking about it. Double yeah. duck. Yeah. <laughs> double duck operator. Double duck is the best. Yeah, I think. I think it's right. Now that's cool. So I mean, other other things. I mean, regular expressions are probably the. Um, only the beginning of this, right? Uh, like the in terms of like very small grammars that make sense to be able to compile into a program. You know, we've all kind of realized mm-hmm. that string matching is painful if you have to write it yourself. And, and regular expressions for all the warts that we were joking about earlier, they can be a very efficient way of encoding something you want to get done. And certainly CTRE gives you a pragmatic way of saying, here's a string matching thing that everyone understands. And yet I won't, don't have to pay any kind of runtime performance costs. I get perfect assembly output that's going to match it as fast as anyone could possibly write handwritten stuff. What else can we do? Yeah, I was going to say, like, does this general technique, I mean, obviously for regular expressions, you've, you've, you've got this library, but does this mean that you can do more things generally at compile time using this technique? Like, you know, I, I can imagine, like, you know, uh, a few situations in which um, you might want to have... Uh, other things calculated at compile time and be like, oh, it'd be super cool if I could have a regular expression here, but I can't because it's too early in the process. And I mean, I don't know. That's sort of just my my naive impression. But is, does this open the door to more of those kinds you of things? You can calculate anything you want if you don't have any input output. And we, uh, we are working on inputs too. So you can actually open a file, yeah. read, uh, read it, and then uh, do some transformation and then store it in your uh, binary or generate code based on it. It's from Jean Heat Embed. The stood embeds thing, right? Yeah. I, that's oh okay. Uh, this is long. You know, we've always wanted to have one. Has always wanted to have like a 
uh, a configuration file kind of thing where you know you want to have something which mm-hmm. isn't code necessarily but does go go into the code. That's a brilliant way of doing it. I can just imagine, you know, JSON parsers, YAML parsers, things being able to generate bespoke types potentially. I mean, template based types, I guess. Yeah, but not not YAML. Please not YAML. Why? <laughs> I like YAML. What's wrong with YAML, Hannah? You need to write parser for it, and then uh, I will ask again. Okay. <laughs> All right, subset of YAML. I get that the, the ampersand thing that lets you refer to other parts is probably very, very tricky, but maybe there's something else I'm not thinking of. Yeah, all right. But I, I don't like Jason. Can I just say it out loud, right? It's not very fashionable. I know Jason is like the lingua franca of everything, but like I can't put comments in Jason. And that makes it really hard for me to write anything where I'm explaining why some, you know, like package.json for like a, a node project, right? You have to have a package.json. It has to be valid JSON. Not only does it have to be exactly valid JSON, like I can't have a trailing comma and mm. I have to always quote everything all the time. I can't explain that I bumped a package version. Please don't do, you know, this is why this is here. I don't directly depend on this package. I want package, but I need version three. Otherwise I get a security warning. And I can't put a comment on the line saying, I don't care about this package, but it needs to be three or greater. Or something like that. And there's just written everywhere. And I know I used to have a trick where I would always just put an extra key of like under, under, comment, under, under, quote. And then I could put a comment in the middle of a dictionary and just hope that no one cared that there was the thing. Anyway, rant about JSON over. I think actually uh, like parsing JSON is like 200 lines of code in C++. I recently write write one. uh, I mean, I've I've heard, I know, you know, Ben Ben Dean and ironically, of course, Jason Turner um, did a, a presentation a long while ago on on parsing Jason, and I, I kind of like it feels like that's great and it shows the the technique off, but I would never want to do that because I hate Jason so much. Well, I like Jason Turner, just to be clear, if you listen to this. <laughs> but Jason the person, Jason, not Jason the file just, format. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'm so I'm wondering what other things. I mean, could one write a C? compiler what i think someone did already get out a few, a few years ago there was some someone on reddit uh with context per c compiler that's absolutely daft i love it i mean i've seen people with you know the brain language brain f language that i won't swear on on our podcast but that one i've seen that that kind of makes sense i can see how that could go together even like with my primitive understanding of template trickery um, but actually, it's not like it's not template metaprogramming. It's actually uh, Consexper. Uh, oh, so now we yeah yeah go on. Tell us about so what's the difference between template and Consexper? Yeah, template um, metaprogramming is actually uh, abusing the uh, properties of the language. They uh, came with uh, templates to make uh, easier write some containers and etc. And then someone found they are actually Turing complete. I see. So that was never intentional. Like, like no, that's not never intentional. My my naive thing of like, I want you know, I want to write an array of or a vector, yeah. an expanding array of type T. That's what I think of templates, right? And you're like, well, that's not Turing complete. That's just like yeah, filling the dots with the T in all the places. Yeah, right. Then there is a context for programming, which is just really bad name uh, for this function uh, should or may be involved in compile time, and then you are writing just ordinary C plus plus. So you can like actually right. write a really easy code, really simple code, and mostly in most cases you can just add a context modifier to all your function and it will work anyway. So if you if you implement that C compiler, just mark everything context and it Got should it. probably work. Wow, 
That's, I mean, so that's where we've come along from. So what what you, was a kind of amusing hack that was discovered by folks back in the day of like, hey, this is accidentally Turing complete, which I mean, I think <laughs> so many things in life end up being accidentally Turing complete, right? Um, to const expert being sort of brought into language as a way of tagging just normal functions. And if I remember rightly, the first yeah. few editions of languages, the language that had const expert, it was super limited. You could only like have a single return statement. They were afraid of that. The, right, yeah. right. You, they were afraid of this. And so you could write your const expert and multiply two numbers together, which was, you know, const expert int multiply int a int b return a star b that was all you could do and you go oh there yeah. you are that's really exciting i was like well what does that help me here and you you, you could do uh, uh like uh recursion but you can do uh like uh, condition uh, conditions no you can you can do any uh, like cycles and then allow then they allow it and they allow it more in c plus plus 20 uh we allowed uh, allocations so you can actually allocate you can use a certain vector now you can in use const this, expert this. time. So this is just a normal C++ program that's running yes, in the exactly. compiler, effectively. Yeah, and, and the output of it can then be used in things that are in the compiled program. Wow. You actually cannot return that vector from the function to out from the compile time because there is like a problem that if you allocate something in compile time, but it will live in a runtime. I see. So that is like the uh, so yeah, dynamic allocation that you did during compile time can't live on into the lifetime yeah. of the program yeah. because it's not dynamic anymore, right? How do you delete yeah. the memory that was like, well, it was in the compiler? Yeah, right. all your allocation must uh, be freed uh, when uh, you are leaving the constant evolution context. Right. But you can use it, use it in, inside of your function to make uh, the uh, algorithms much easier, simpler than just using templates and tricks. I see. You can actually implement your own stack with vector with actual normal code rather than like consing on the side of some lisp like thing that's getting yes. bigger and bigger and bigger and yeah. so you're no longer abusing the type system to hold the internal state of your your algorithm you can just use freaking variables right <laughs> like, like like a normal person would do that's so cool exactly and uh, then you can implement the parser in much more ordinary way and uh, it will be much faster and I mean uh, not like one or magnitude, but like uh, exponential versus linear. And this is what runtime speed, or are you talking com compile, compile time, time speed? speed? So the compiler itself is much better at I don't know understanding the code that it normally reads all day every day to compile our code than it is <laughs> dealing with the abuse of the template system and all the instantiations that requires. Yeah, yeah for example, if you have like a, a expression which is few kilobyte long. Which is crazy, by yeah. the way. Uh, I've seen the ones for like the mm -hmm. match email addresses, and they look a bit like that. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And if you uh, try to compile with a CTRE, <laughs> I don't know if it will ever end. <laughs> and it uh, usually it crashes on uh, insufficient memory. Right, I can imagine because of all. The, but yeah. uh, then uh, I uh, made a prototype of CTRE using constant parsing, which is uh, like limit limiting also the uh, template instantiation. And then uh, I tried a few megabytes long regular expression, and it took like half a second or something oh, to wow. compile. That's such a big deal. That is huge. Yeah, like we've talked a lot, Ben. And I, one of the things that the themes of this uh, of this podcast is like my impatience at waiting for code to build, uh, <laughs> and and Ben's impatient waiting for tests to run. Right, that's our like our <laughs> shtick here. That's kind of true. Yeah, uh, and so. Having tools in our toolbox that allow us to use these advanced techniques that are coming down the pipeline or even here already, 
um, that don't also suck. <laughs> Compile time is very important to me and close to my heart, so I'm really excited to hear these. That's amazing. And uh, you, you can actually easily test your code. I was going to ask. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And your code won't ever uh, compile if it's uh, like if there is any problem. You can just run it in compile time and uh, place it into static assert, like like a require in test. And uh, if you, if you are okay, it will compile. If not, you, your compilation oh, yeah. will fail. Uh-huh. So you're, you're, the compiler runs the test implicitly as it's as it's compiling. Yeah. That's that sounds like Ben's heaven. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, it's like so. The, the 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 answer to the question of should I check things with the compiler or should I check things with test is yes. <laughs> yes, both. <laughs> All of the above. Yes. I mean, that's great. But actually, you should test both. In uh, C twenty, you can actually have different code which will be run in compile time and in runtime in same function. Oh wow. Ah, yeah. This is something I wanted to talk about. Actually, that is the one of the, the things about const expert is that. Um, it can, any code you write that's context but can also be run dynamically. So for example, if you call a function like my multiply routine that I just sort of said, and you need it at compile time, the compiler will obviously evaluate it with all the constants available and promise you that like, you know, you've got an array of size 10 because you did two times five, right? End of story. But if you call it with dynamic parameters, it will just generate the code and do it like normal. So there in, and then Hannah's just reminded me or reminded us that you can now ask the compiler Am I being evaluated inside the compiler, or am no. I being evaluated at runtime? Like, am I in the matrix or not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well. And then you can change the answer, which of course is like terrifying. <laughs> and you shouldn't wow. do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't yeah. do that. So when might? Well, all right, you said you shouldn't do it, but why would you need to know? Yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, it's really hard to implement something in context per, uh, context per limitation. It's usually recursive algorithms, but in runtime you can use uh, some intrinsic, for example. I see. Or inline assembly. I see. So, like for example, if I had a matrix multiply routine, four by four matrix multiply routine, then of course I want to be able to do that at context, bro. Because who knows, I might be rotating some points or something that's in a big list of things. But if I'm running on the real time system, I actually want to use the 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 underlying x86 architectural mm. instructions myself to do it. So you need to be able to switch yeah. on those. That's so it. you can have like two paths: one for compiler and one for your yeah. runtime. So back to your point that you made, which is that you know having the compiler run your test is fine provided you don't have any code that differs. But if you do have code that differs, you should also test Definitely. it with mm-hmm. the normal techniques. Which brings me on to the next question I have actually about this, which is how do you debug this? Because mm. I'm used to putting breakpoints and printfs everywhere, and I don't think the compiler lets That's me do that. Question. Or maybe it does. Yeah, uh, there, there is no tooling for that. And uh, like one trick I found is uh, to create a, a template which is not defined, it's like only uh, declared. Mm-hmm. If I'm correct. Okay, so you just say there exists a thing called Bob, but you don't give a body. So it's like yeah. the compiler can't do anything with Bob if you try to do. Hey, it's actually te- template type name something uh, uh, struct Bob. Okay, so Bob. Is, yeah, sorry, this is a terrible name. I use yeah. Bob for anything or Ian yeah. is the other one. But Bob is of T, right? And you know, yeah. so you've got a T that you can mm-hmm. give it. Okay. And if you uh, try to instantiate it somewhere, like uh, it's like uh, print for debugging. Yeah. It will fail in compilation, and it will, it, it will tell you. There is no insta- uh, instance of print for debugging t. of, and then whatever you put inside the. Yeah. the uh, so yeah, you can do your uh, yeah, you can throw an exception kind of thing with a with a helpful message, but the helpful message unfortunately is just a type name inside a deliberately left out um, bodied. 
This is like good function. for debugging, but uh, for uh, like when I wrote CTRE, I start from the parser and I wrote a lot of tests to make sure it's working yes. properly, and then I built over on that. So, so uh, when I change something, it will immediately break, so I know something is not right, and it right. helps. So obviously, test helps. Well, that that's very on brand for us. So I'm glad <laughs> glad to hear that. Even even when the compiler is doing all the work for you. Uh, testing is useful, but yeah, you're actually writing a code, so you need to test it. If you you if you want to test it, mm -hmm. then it's like meaningless. Absolutely. So how long until we have a template uh, programming language testing framework? Uh, actually, I think Catch Two already has like some uh, like macros which will force evaluating something in compile time okay. to check it. So there are definitely already some tools. All right. Like my, but in CTRE, uh, I was lazy, and my tests are actually a bunch of static asserts. And if uh, any of the CPP file fails to compile, then there is a problem. Right, right. And every Maybe. time I get some like uh, um, issue or uh, mostly issues, then I uh, try to like make it happen the problem, and then I fix it. Mm -hmm. it right. If I try to fix it before that, I don't know what I fixed. Uh, yeah. yeah, that never works out. Got to watch it fail first. Yeah, yeah start exactly. from a failing test, you know, and then work yeah. backwards. Otherwise, yeah, you... So, actually, it's exactly the same as normal programming. Right, but exactly. just, like, awkward. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I guess... I've gotten so lazy with debuggers, like actual, like, GDB and whatever, that I'm so... You know, I'll, I'll happily write something without testing it as much as perhaps I ought to, or at least certainly if I'm trying to understand someone else's code you can yeah. really do far wrong than single stepping through and going to go and getting the feel of it. And I feel like, like there were perhaps this tooling for that that would be useful. Can I? I think you, you can always hook into compiler with GDB. That's true. Um, if you can understand what's going on inside GDB using, sorry, inside GCC using GDB, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that you can understand that, Hannah, frankly. No, but... <laughs> no, I definitely can't. Oh, I have to ask, by the way. So there, there is a library called hana already that's a template metaprogramming library are you who who was first who 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 stole it were you before the library or were you named after the library i was born before the library yeah. and then they stole your name no 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 there is no connection at all i find that hard to believe i mean there's certainly some nominative determinism going on here surely you know you're no now i'm it took me a while. It was like I think at a CPP one, I did my lightning talk about CTRE, and uh, people were like talking uh, like uh, you. You must know uh, Louis. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Louis, it's Louis of, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Out of Budhana, and no, I. What's going on? I didn't know. So wow. you didn't know that there is like yeah a big compile time sort of preprocessory. I actually I don't even know what Hana is. I'll be honest with you. I, I know you, but <laughs> it's like a. Uh, style of program uh, like uh, using templates but without you actually using uh, knowing that you are using templates I it's see. using okay. like uh, function argument deduction tricks okay and uh, actually uh, last week uh, we had uh, no maybe this week I don't I'm not sure anymore uh, we <laughs> you had, no idea what time it is on what day yeah, yeah we yeah. had a, a st study group 7 uh, meeting mm -hmm. and we were discussing like future of reflection and uh, we were reminding people uh, that uh, boost HANA style or HANA style function uh, were rejected. 
Right. <laughs> and there's you saying this, right? Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't David, actually. But, <laughs> no, yeah. It's funny. But no, no, literally no connection. That's funny. I, it is. It's amusing. Maybe it was pro- prophecy. So, maybe it was prophecy. That, well, take it as prophecy. That seems like a great, great uh, point mm-hmm. to end on here as we've got to time. But um, thank you so much for being with us today. This has been really, really interesting. And I think I've finally gotten... I mean, so full disclosure before now, I've been to several of Hanna's presentations on this kind of stuff and I've never really had it stick in my head the way, even when... No, no, no. Matt was my remote clicker. So before before, um, it was fashionable to do presentations remotely, Hanna was ahead of the curve. Um, I forget, Mm. what was the the reasoning you... Uh, My flight was cancelled. I couldn't go to the conference. Oh, so wow. uh, I did my presentation remotely, but uh, s- something failed uh, for with remote control of his computer because I wanted to, to run uh, slides on uh, Matt's computer because there are like mm-hmm. uh, animations and everything. Uh, and uh, yeah. I was supposed to, to control it with VNC, but sometime, sometime, somehow it fails. Oh, so yeah. uh, Matt yeah. was my clicker. So I was telling him like, next slide, right. next slide, next slide. And then... There was like uh, the audience, and there was a, the slide with the tree, the expression tree. And I asked Matt, click on the text box and write some regular expression. <laughs> so I got to be do the cool thing with the presentation oh, wow. and take all the glory. <laughs> and then poor Hano did all the work. Wow. No, no, that was that was fun. Oh man, that was fun. But That's and crazy. that was actually a funny conference, and yeah. It, it, yeah, Matt is my clicker. That's, that's, that's my... I've peaked. <laughs> I've peaked in my career now. I've been honest clicker. <laughs> and I was very proud to be. All right, friends. Well, once again, Hannah, thank you so much for your time and for explaining this all to me. As I say, I think I have a much better understanding now than I think I've had before. And thank you for inviting me. Yeah, this is great. Super interesting. You've been listening to Two's Compliment, a programming podcast by Ben Rady and Matt Godfold. Find the show transcript and notes at twoscompliment.org. Contact us on Twitter at 2CP, that's at T-W-O-S-C-P. Theme music by Inverse Phase, inversephase.com. <laughs>